If you turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Now, we're going, uh, we're going to look at a whole lot of Scripture today. In fact, I was, uh, I was telling uh, uh, Susan just a little bit earlier, I said, I said, man, there's a lot of Scripture in this sermon. But if you, uh, it'll be up on the, the screen for you as we go through. But uh, if you lose where we're at, you can always go back to uh, uh, our jump-off verse, Hebrews 7.25. It, uh, you know, it's a joy to stand up here in front of you today. And, you know, for, uh, for many of you out here, um, if you know the Lord, this is going to be uh, kind of a review or, or just a reason to rejoice in what you got. But if you don't know the Lord, and for those that uh, will listen to this later on out there, you may want to pay attention to this because this may be the most important sermon you ever hear. The title of it this morning is Saved, Plain and Simple. And Hebrews 7.25, it tells us, uh, Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth, to make intercession for them. <clears throat> you know, judging by the length of my sermons, and anybody that's ever talked to me uh, uh, any, any given time, I love words. Always have. Um, you know, I read somewhere that the average person has around 20,000 words in his or her vocabulary. Of course, most folks only use around 2,000 different words in normal conversation. But as I was looking into this, I also discovered that there are around 200,000 English words in common usage today, and more get added all the time. Now, according to some estimates, the total number of English words is over 3 million, which includes words excuse, uh, exclusively used in like the medical field and technological and scientific fields. But the point is, that's a whole lot of words. And I enjoy words. I mean, words are my business. I use words um, in uh, when I talk to people on the phone uh, at the at the company I work for. I use words when I preach. I use words when I pray. I use words when I witness and when I fellowship, when I write, etc. See, I use words in every area of my life. But it seems to me that of all the words. I use and encounter on a daily basis, the words of the Bible are the most important of all. Now, if the Holy Spirit, and we believe that He did, if the Holy Spirit inspired this book, and as I said, I, I, I believe that He did, then I also got to believe that He chose the precise words that He wanted to use. Therefore, when I read and when I study the Bible... Um, it's imperative that I find out what the words in the text mean. And to do this, I, I, I use dictionaries and I, I use Hebrew and Greek lexicons and, and other reference materials. See, I try to see what the words meant in that society and then what they mean to us today. And then what I do is I take the product of my study, and I bring it to church to share with you guys either in Sunday school or from the pulpit. But see, it's, it's here in the church where the problem of understanding what the Bible says 
begins. Here's what I mean. You see, every person in this room right now is at a different place in their spiritual journey. Some of you guys out there are saved and have been for years. And the Bible is an, is an open and blessed book to you. Others are new believers. You're, uh, you're, you're baby Christians and you're, and you're still trying to learn the language of the church. And, and, and you're still trying to figure out how to understand the Bible. And still others here never been saved at all. And some things we say and some things that the Bible says just absolutely make no sense. In fact, one of the words that I've already used a couple times this morning is a good example. And I'm referring to the word saved. One form of that word is even used in our text this morning. See, you hear that word saved and salvation around the church a whole lot. We talk about being saved. We sing about being saved. We preach about being saved. We testify about being saved. We shout about being saved. And you know what? It's fitting that we do this. Because salvation is a wonderful thing. If you got it. But if you don't got it, you might find yourself just a bit confused from time to time when you hear saved people Talk about being saved. Well, by the help of the Lord, I want to try and take some of the mystery out of that word saved today. Let me begin with a simple definition. The word save means to rescue somebody or something. Pretty simple, right? To rescue uh, somebody or something from harm or danger. You know, uh, we use that word a lot uh, and, and might speak of saving someone from drowning, saving a person from a burning building, saving them from a car accident, saving someone from certain death, etc. See, the, the English word has the idea of delivering another person from impending doom. Now, the Greek word, which is translated save in our text this morning, it's the, it's the word sozo. And it means to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, to make well, to heal, to restore to health. So in other words, nothing at all is lost in the translation. And when we speak of getting saved, being saved, etc. in the church... We're referring to God's ability to rescue us from death and hell. And of His power to not only rescue us, but to keep us in that safe and sound condition forever. So, with that little bit of information in mind this morning, I want to take a look at this wonderful verse that we just read. And I want to park on a few precious words that are contained in this verse and preach on the subject saved, plain and simple. You know, we've been honored uh, through the years to have some unsaved people in our services on any given Sunday. And, and I'm sure uh, that there's someone listening or there's some here today that, that may not be saved. And I want to be sure that you have the opportunity 
to hear the simple truths of salvation clearly. And I want you to make sure that you can hear it stated in plain English. So let's park on verse 25 for just a few minutes today as we think on the thought, saved, plain and simple. See, one of the first things that I want you to see this morning is that salvation, above all, is about a person. Look at the word he. See, Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. The he in this verse, if, if you went up just a couple verses in, in, in this chapter, he's identified in verse 22. And verse 22 says, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. See, the he here, his name is Jesus. And the Bible says in our text that he is able. That means that, that Jesus alone has the ability to provide salvation. And you know what? That's the clear message of the New Testament. It, it, uh, um, in Acts chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Be it none unto you all, or be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And he goes on and he says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. John chapter 14 verse 6 tells us that Jesus said unto him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John chapter 5, verse 11, it says, And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. Now, this message may seem narrow and sound narrow to our modern minds. It seems, it seems extremely uh, narrow to modern thinking. But salvation will only, capital letters un underlined, salvation will only be found in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus did what no other man has ever done or will ever do. He lived a sinless life. And then He went to an old rugged cross and He died there in agony. And in shame. And when he did, he shed his precious, sinless blood for the sins of all who will trust him for salvation. First Peter chapter 2 verse 24 tells us, Who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me real close here. The church is not the answer. See, although it's a fantastic starting place, it's only, the, it's only that. It's a vehicle. There are many who have attended church for years and they're no closer to being saved than when they first walked through the doors. The pastor, 
is not the answer. Justin is not the answer, and I'm certainly not the answer. We can't save you. We can only introduce you to the one who can. Only Jesus can rescue you from the danger that threatens your soul. Only Jesus can save, and He is able to do it to the uttermost. Salvation, as we see, is is about a person, but it's not only about a person. Salvation is also about a possibility. Look at this little word, is. It says in 725, it says, Wherefore He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him. As I said, notice the, the, the word is in this verse. This little verb is in present tense. And what that means, it, it, it speaks of something that is possible right here, right now. See, when we speak of salvation, we're not talking about something that was and, and, or something that will be later. We're speaking of something that is right here, right now. It can happen at this instant. And the Bible says that He, Jesus, is able to save. See, Jesus did not operate, uh, just operate in power during biblical times. He's still seeking and saving souls today. Now, now those of you who wonder and worry about what's going to happen to you in eternity, don't need to wonder or worry anymore. See, you need to understand that right here, right now, Jesus is able and willing to save your soul today, this very second. See, that's His call. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, For He saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, that's His call. Here's His promise. John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Here's the point. You don't have to live in your sins for one more second. You can be free. You can be saved. You can be assured of heaven today if you will only trust Jesus. Now, while salvation is available right now, I'm afraid that it won't always be. See, the Bible tells us there's going to come a day when the Lord isn't going to speak to our hearts anymore. And His Spirit won't strive with us forever. My advice to you is this, because we don't know when that day is going to be. My advice to you is this, if the Lord is speaking to you about coming to Him, then you need to come and and don't wait no longer. He's able today, and if He's calling, He intends for you to come to Him today. Listen, uh, I want you to hear the advice of Isaiah. In Isaiah 55, uh, verses 6 and 7, he tells us, he says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy, uh, mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know, we've seen just here in a few minutes that, that salvation is about a, about a person and a possibility. 
Next, I want you to see that salvation is about a power. Look at uh, uh, verse uh, 25 again. It says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, uh, unto God by him. We're told that he is able. Now that word able, it means to have the power to do something. See, Jesus has the power to do something about your lost condition. He has the power, the ability to save your soul, and he's able to do just that. Now, Interestingly enough, this uh, this word able is the Greek word uh, dunamai. And it comes from the same word in which we get the English word dynamite and dynamic. It, it, it has the idea of explosive power. See, Jesus has the power to invade your life and to break the chains that hold you bound in your sins. And he has the power to affect your eternal freedom here And now, He's able to set you free. In fact, it tells you in John chapter 8, verse 36, it says, If the Son uh, therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now this word able also has the idea of competence. Because power without competence is a dangerous thing. But... This word has the idea of competence. In other words, it refers to someone who knows exactly what he's doing. Now, if my car is acting up and I need a mechanic, I want to take it to someone who is competent to get it fixed. If I got a problem with my body, I want to take it to someone who is competent to get the help I need. I want a surgeon who made an A in surgery, not someone who made a D. But when it comes to my soul, I want someone who is competent, don't you? You see, the Bible tells us that our soul is far more valuable than your car. It's much more valuable than your body. See, your soul is the most important and valuable possession that you have. And the Bible poses the question this way. In Mark 8, 36, it says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We need someone who is competent. Someone who is able. You know, I'm glad that I can stand here this morning and tell you that Jesus is more than able. He's more than competent when it comes to saving souls. He can save anybody, anywhere, anytime from any sin. In John chapter 17, verse 2, it says, As thou hast given him power over all, uh, power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Jesus has the power to save. He's been given the power over all flesh. He paid the price to save. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins, and He rose again from the dead. Jesus is able and He's competent. He can and He will save all who come to Him by faith. I want you to see also that salvation is about a perfection. 
Look at, uh, look at our text. It says, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. As the pastor says, what is the uttermost? It's the most you can utter. But <laughs> not only does Jesus provide the power to provide salvation, but the Bible says right here that he is able to save to the uttermost. This is a precious word, my friends. It means completely, perfectly, and utterly. When God saves a soul from sin, He doesn't do it haphazardly. He does it right. He does it perfectly. He does it completely. And He does it utterly. So, what does this mean for you? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you're saved to the uttermost... Here's a little of what it means for you. See, first off, you're saved completely from your sins. The moment you believed, the moment you trusted, all of your sins, every single one of them, have been washed away through the precious blood of Jesus. Psalm chapter uh, uh, Psalm 103 tells us, As far as the east is from the west... So far He hath removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 38 tells us, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but Thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For Thou hast cast all my sins behind Thy back. Not only from the east and the west, but also behind the back, behind His back, and into the, uh, the sea of His forgetfulness. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. You're completely saved from your sins. You're also saved from the power of your sins. Now this is a long passage we're fixing to read. You might want to stretch. Romans chapter 6. It's in verse 6. It says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Because he that is free, he that is dead, is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye yourselves also to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let sin therefore uh, reign uh, in your mortal. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And then uh, verse fourteen says, "For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace." That whole big passage that we just read and all that lawyer language, what it does is it tells us plainly that we died with Jesus and we have been raised to a new life in Him. 
And as a result, He has forever broken the bondage of our sins and He has set us free from their power. I want you to see also that you're saved forever from your sins. You know, so, some people um, think, uh, read this verse and they, they think that the word uttermost means that Jesus can save anyone. Well, He can. But that's not the emphasis of the word. See, it has the idea that Jesus has the ability to save us to the end. In other words, when Jesus saves a soul, He does it completely and He does it forever. John chapter 10, it says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It goes on to say that his father uh, uh, is stronger than him, and no one can pluck them out of the father's hand. So what that means to me is, if in order for um, uh, the devil to get to me, he has to first overpower the father, then he has to overpower the son. There's no one that can get to me. John chapter 6 verse 47 says, Verily, verily, anytime, anytime Jesus does a double verily, you need to open your eyes and look because He's fixing to lay something heavy on you. But he says, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me has everlasting life. 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that, that fadeth not away, that's reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What this is all telling us is that salvation is complete. Salvation is perfect. And salvation is a forever work. Jesus is able to save your soul. And when He does, He's able to keep you saved. You know, that encourages me. You know, it, I mess up. It's no surprise to my wife. And it, it may, you know, I know it, it may be a surprise to you guys, but I kind of mess up a lot in life. And, but you know, the truth is, I can't, even I can't mess up salvation. It's complete in Jesus. And it is mine forever. Salvation will not wear out and it will not wear off. Those who are saved today will be saved forever. I want you to see also this morning that salvation is about a potential. Look back at our text. And I want you to look at this word, them. It says, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. See, here's the bittersweet part of this verse. We're told that this perfect, complete, and utter salvation can become a reality. But only for them that come unto God by him. You see, salvation, I hate to say it, it's just not for everyone. There are some people who cannot and who will not be saved. Now that may be surprise, that may surprise you. But it is true. Salvation is only for those who will come to Jesus. Look at uh, uh, Romans chapter 10. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now here's my point. Jesus died on the cross to make the way of salvation possible for all who will come to him by faith. In John chapter 2 verse 2, Jesus, uh, or John chapter 2 verse 2, it, it tells us that, that He is the propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice, not for only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's, the, it's an open invitation. There is, in Revelation 22, there's an open invitation to come to Him. It, uh, 22 verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now, we've also seen in Scripture this morning that He won't turn anyone away. And that's a tremendous blessing. But that in itself is also the crux of a great problem. See, you see, there are many who hear the message of the cross and the message of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They hear the message of the gospel of grace and believe it. And these people are immediately, completely, perfectly, utterly, and forever saved from their sins. However, there are many, many more that hear this same message and repeatedly turn a deaf ear to it. They harden their hearts to the call of Jesus and they walk away from Him and His promises. And these people will never, ever be saved unless they come unto God by Him. See, I remind you that Jesus is the only way to God. He is the only hope of salvation you have. If you reject Him, you have no other alternative. You have nothing to look forward to but an eternity in hell. To reject Jesus is to walk away from the only one who can save your soul. Now finally, I want you to see this morning that salvation is about a promise. Look at this word, liveth. Our text says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus is able to save so completely and perfectly and utterly is because He is alive. He is alive in heaven today. And as we know from the Bible, Jesus did die on the cross. But He also rose again from the dead. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of twelve. And after that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one of born out of due time. Therefore, whether it were I or they, 
so we preach, and so you believe. After that, Jesus ascended back to heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And he is present in heaven today, and he is there to make intercession for us. He is our high priest. See, the, the first part of this whole chapter is about the superiority of Jesus to earthly high priests. All other priests die, and their ministry ends forever. Jesus died, and his ministry began. He rose from the dead, and now he prays for us in the very presence of God. John chapter, 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, when we fail, and we often do, He's there to plead our case and say, you know what, put that on my account. His presence in heaven is our guarantee of eternal life. Jesus is there as proof that sin has been conquered and the way has been opened into God's presence. He is the door and all who enter through Him have His presence in heaven as their promise, as their hope, and as their anchor. You know, I challenge you to name any other religious figure that can make that claim. Every other founder of every other major religion has a grave where their followers can go and mourn their deaths. Only Christians have an empty tomb. Our leader, the author and finisher of our faith, he rose for the dead. He ascended back to heaven, and he is there today as our representative and the guarantee that we will be there one day as well. I want you to look at what Jesus promised as I close out here. John chapter 14, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. What a promise. What a guarantee. So let me end with this thought. Saved. What a glorious, wonderful word. You know, the more I learn about that word and what it promises, the more I love it. And I, I'm glad that I can say without reservation, I'm saved. You know, I praise the Lord that I know what salvation is all about. And I praise the Lord that Jesus is my Savior. But i got to ask, what about you? Can you say, I know for sure that I'm saved today? Have you ever come to a point where you understood the gospel and placed your trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? If you have, then all that I've talked about today and more is yours through Him. But if you haven't, I challenge you to not delay any longer. See, if the Lord's shown you that you ain't saved today and you know that He's calling you, then by all means, come to Him. And I beg you to let us help us with this. You know, we'd, we'd love to sit down with you at a time and a place of your choosing and introduce you to Jesus.
Ask us about those Bible truths before you leave here today. You know, we're going to we're going to have a, a verse of invitation. But salvation, you know, it, the funny thing about it is I, I think back before I was saved. And I thought it was ridiculousness. And then I remember looking for loopholes. I'm thinking there has to be another way. And then I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, uh, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I believe this wholeheartedly, but what are my friends? What are, you know, I'm going to have to change my life. I'm going to have to, and all those were, and you know, the funny thing about it is, all those melted away when I finally just gave up and trusted him. I realized it wasn't something that I had to do. It wasn't about what I do. It was about what Jesus had done. I realized it was about access to the very one who created everything and that loved me enough to wrap himself in human flesh and die for my sins. What an amazing thing. I would tell anyone that I haven't met a single person that has ever been sorry to I haven't. I haven't. About... Um, if you um, if you are saved, maybe you just go to him this time of invitation and you you thank him for everything that he's done. Maybe you pray for for those that you know that aren't saved, that their hearts would be changed, that that, that they would open, they their eyes would be open, they would uh, they would hear and understand the gospel and have the chance to believe just like you did. Whatever it is. Um, as we uh, as we uh, sing a verse of invitation.